Well, let me say what a joy it is to visit with you guys. It has been not once, but twice, but more than that. I think we have last check on the count. But let me use this opportunity to say to the elders and the saints here how much we appreciate the help that we get from your assembly for the ongoing upkeep of the Elim Basic School. Um, on my retirement, I thought, what would the Lord have me do? And among the many other things, the Elim Basic School came up to be one of them. And I just praise the Lord this morning when I think that we had 50 students then in the year 2005. And it was on the verge of closing because there was no finance. And then I visited Jamaica then and um, I thought for a moment, maybe the Lord might have me have something to do with the school. It has been one of my avenues of use in my retirement. And I've invested a lot of time and energy and everything else with a lot of other projects. But I can assure you, there's none like this one. When you've got kids three to six years old needing help. Last year, my principal called and said, Brother Hart, we have got a feeding program that is in trouble. I said, what's it? Wasn't the luncheon program doing okay? Yes. But there were 60 of the kids. That 50 we had has now turned 210. And there are 60 of them that have no breakfast to come to school in the mornings. I just leave you to let your imagination stretch to see what that means. So I said to her, I said, listen, the Lord has been providing all along. We'll go along and see to it that we get them a little breakfast for the 60 of them every morning. This is different from the 180 of them with a cook lunch every day. And that cook lunch they have for 80% of our attendees is the best meal that they will have for the day. So we have to praise the Lord for all those who have helped to keep the school operating. And we have to praise him again that he has finished up another year without any deficit. So we just go trusting the Lord. I do carry around with me, and I still have some. I've left San Antonio now for four weeks, and I still have some little envelopes that will tell you about the school. If you've never heard about it, when we're finished, you just check with me, and I'll let you have one of those. But on behalf of the principal and the teachers and the students, I want to convey to you their greatest appreciation for the help that you give to the Elim Basic School. We're going to look into God's Word for a little time tonight. And um, I don't think this is one of our regular preaching sessions. I think we'll probably have more study in it than anything else tonight. Um, it's not going to be anything new. I'm sure that you guys have seen something to do with what we're going to talk about. Um, if you stay with me a little bit slower, because for my eyesight down to this is a little longer than I normally have. So I might have to take a little while to even read the pages. But we'll see how we make out. 
We're going to open your Bibles to Daniel tonight. <clears throat> if you happen to read the sixth chapter of Daniel, you will find some things in it, in that chapter, that I got scratched in my Bible. And here's what I found out about this man, Daniel. He was a man greatly beloved. What it means to be beloved, it means to, I love and I get back love in return. <clears throat> so, when you read chapter 6, you will find that in verse 3, Daniel was a preferred man. Go on down to chapter, to verse 10, and you felt that here we find Daniel was a praying man. He knelt and prayed. Verse 10 also tell me that Daniel was a praising man. He gave thanks. Go on to verse 16, and you find that Daniel was a persecuted man. Go on to verse 22, and you find Daniel was a protected man. Go on to verse 20 again, and you see thou servest continually. He was a persistent man. In verse 20, he was a privileged man. And in verse 28, you'll find that Daniel was a prosperous man. This is the man we are going to be looking at tonight. And if you take the attributes of this man, you will find that he would be termed on a pretty high spiritual level, don't you think? I think he was extraordinary in all that we read about him in chapter 6. And the interesting thing is this, is that we're going to look into his life to see what God did with him even although he was up on that highest spiritual level. The first thought I want you to look at is in Daniel chapter 8. And if you look at verse 18 and 19. And here's what it says. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last and end of the indignation. For at that time appointed the end shall be. The first thought I want you to look at is found in verse 18. He touched me and set me upright. This is the highly spiritual man. The man of God. He had just passed through an experience like you never seen experience before. They threw him in a den of lions and he came back out without a scratch. Daniel, the reason why you were thrown in the lens of lion is because you're praying to the God that you claim is the God of all gods. And then he came out without a scratch. He must have had some trust in God that could allow him not to stop praying and continued praying. And it was his attitude, like the, the, the three before him, the three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In their case, he says, listen, if you don't bow down to this golden image, we're going to throw you into a furnace. You know what the three guys said? He said, if it pleases God, not to save us from the burning of the fire. Not going to make any difference. We are not going to bow down to the image. 
And when you read that story, they made the fiery furnace a little bit hotter. And then there was a time when they looked and they saw, we threw three guys down there and there's an extra guy. He's walking around. Four is down. What? Who do you think the fourth is? It's God. The guys had a trust in God that they were willing to lay their lives down. And if it pleases God not to save them from the furnace, no problem. But they're not going to bow down. I'd like to suggest the touch that Daniel got and set him upright was a touch of standing. A touch of standing. We live in a day and age today. It's hard to see a lot of God's people not standing for him. And sometimes I find, like my dad always say in his days, if you don't take a stand for something, what will take place is that you will fall for anything that happens to come your way. We need to take a stand for God. And sometimes, even although Daniel was at a high spiritual level, God looked into his life and he says, I want to do something else with Daniel, but I'm preparing him. I want him to stand upright. I want him to get a stand for God. How much do you and I need to take a stand for God? Why do we need to take a stand for God? You know why? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we need to take a stand for God, that the world might know whose we are and whom we serve. As we take a stand for God, we need to take a stand against the world, a stand against flesh, and a stand against the devil. Are you and I standing for God? And he's saying to your heart and mind this evening, he said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loveth the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. You cannot love God and love the world because the world is at enmity with God. And as highly spiritual as Daniel was, God had a purpose for him. God was going to use him for something that he had never been exposed to before. And the Lord said to him, I'm going to visit Daniel and I am going to tell him what he needs is a touch of standing. And so the angel came by, touched him, and said, Daniel, stand upright. We, are, we need to be clothed with the armor of God because of what we are fighting against. We need to stand fast in the faith where the Lord Jesus Christ has made us free. And he who the Son hath made free is what? Free indeed. We need to take a stand. And if the Hebrew guys could refuse from bowing their knee to the golden image, how much more do we in today's world? We need to take a stand for God. 
question is to your heart and mine, how am I standing for God today? What does the world see in us? The world of family and friends and work colleagues and school colleagues, the, the folks we rub shoulders with. Do they see anything of standing up for God? We will not worship the golden image, says the three boys, and God delivered him. What we need to be conscious of is God doesn't change. The same God that was able to do what he did before, he will be able to do the same and more today. Question is, on our first thought, am I standing for God? Do I really need a touch of standing? Let's try to look at the second one. Chapter 9 and verse 21 and 22. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. Remember, we started with Daniel had a very high spiritual level. And yet in God's economy, he's saying to Daniel, I need you to take a stand, so I'm giving you a touch of standing. And then when he had that settled off, he says, what you need now, Daniel, is a touch of skill and understanding. It's one thing to take a stand for God, but it is a different dimension that comes on. When you're taking the stand and you have got skill and understanding in the standing that we do for the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get skill and understanding with a touch? I am going to suggest that it only comes from the word of God. It only comes from the word of God so that we might be grounded and not be blown about, says the scripture, not knowing what do I really stand for? We're being blown about with a, a type of doctrine that you don't understand. Some folks are in fellowship with one assembly today, and when you visit them again another few weeks, you hear, well, I'm not with that assembly anymore. I am over at another assembly. What were you looking for? Like a perfect assembly. Like I said, when that takes place and you find the perfect assembly, it then becomes imperfect when you join the assembly. So they get blown about with every wind of doctrine. Nothing to stand about for. And they keep moving on and on and on. And does nothing for the kingdom of God. But God had a work for Daniel to do. And he said, Daniel, I'm not only giving you the touch of standing. I want to give you a touch of skill and understanding. And where we get it from today is from the word of God. This is the avenue through which God will speak to us only through his word. And we need to spend time in the word. We need to be earnest with the word. We need to be diligent with the word. We need to be constant in the word. 
because it is the word of God that will make the big difference in your life and mine as we take our stand for God. You know, I remember Paul the Apostle. He was in prison and he was writing to the Philippian church. And when he get into chapter 3 and verse 10, he says this to them. He says, oh, that I might know him. He didn't say, oh, that I might know about him. You know, I know a lot about my prime, prime minister in Jamaica. But I don't know him. But I know a lot about him. And Paul was specific when he was writing to the Philippian church. He says, although I might know so much about him, yet my desire is that I might know him. And the more we get to know who God really is, is the better you and I will be able to stand for him and use the skill and understanding that comes with the word of God. Remember what he said to Moses as he led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. He says, guess what I want you to do with them, Moses? I want them to be taught. They must be taught. The children, teach them in the morning, in the evening, at noon. Wherever you sit for a meal, make sure you teach them the word, the word of God. I like when David was writing Psalm 1. He said this, he says, I meditate in the word of God both day and night. You know, I am, my first 12 years of life was on the farm, up on the hills of Jamaica. And what we had up on that farm was the, a bunch of different animals. My dad would have a few cows, he would have a few horses, a few goats, a few pigs. It's hill country. But here's what I notice about the cows. They graze out in the grass in the daytime. And in the evening at 6, 7 o'clock when they come in, the cow just flops down on the ground. And all of a sudden as you look around, you see a flop comes up like... Something was saying to him, bring something up and put in your mouth and keep chewing it. We call that chewing his cud. And that's what the cow does. He gathers as much as he can as he cuts through the grass in the daytime. And in the evening he pulls himself over, flops down, and he plops up one ball after another. And he chews that grass into like a liquid he makes out of it to help the digestion into his body, that he might produce what he does produce. And I likewise think of the word of God. If we just read over it, walk away from it, doesn't do a word of good to us. But when we meditate on it, and meditate on it over and over again, and meditate on it night and day, You'd be surprised to know what meditating on the word of God will do for you and I. What did David said in Psalms? He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Oh, the word of God. Whither shall I, with a long man, cleanse his way, but taking heed to the word of God. What I like about the word is, is a guarantee the Lord gives with it. He says, if what I have said in my word doesn't come to pass, guess what? Heaven and earth will disappear. 
That's how true the word of God really is. Only his word will give us the victory in your life and mine. God then gave to Daniel an opening of what's going to take place in the 70 weeks. And let me say this. Depending on how effective your skill and understanding is going to be for God depends on how much time do I spend with him and his word. So that what? So that something of the Lord Jesus Christ can rub off on me that as I walk, I might walk like him. As I talk, I might talk like him. My general mannerism will become like him. My actions will become by him. My reactions will become like him. And then, guess what? The world will see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what God is looking for for his people. Not just to take a stand for him, but to use his skill and understanding that he wants to give to his people so that you and I will be effective for God. Look at chapter 10 again and verse 10. Chapter 10 and verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. He had the touch of standing, and he had the touch of skill and understanding. And the Lord says, even although you're of a high spiritual level, and you get the touch of standing and the touch of skill and understanding, are you guessing what the third one is going to be? Touch says the scripture of supplication. Get on your knees and on the palms of your hands because he wants to give the touch of supplication. Behold, an angel touched me, which set me upon the knees and upon the palms of my hand. It then comes back. How is your prayer life and mine? One of the things that baffled me is when Jesus Christ saved me and brought me into his family and established me in a glorious, everlasting, divine relationship with the God of all gods, when he then becomes my father. And he opens up an avenue that I don't have to go through somebody else to get to him. 24-7, I can reach out to the God who is the creator of the universe. There's nothing better than that. When he picks up a hell-deserving sinner that I was on my way to a lost eternity and revolutionized my life, brought me into his family and established me as a son of God. You know, I, I, I just get a joy box busted in my life so many often times. Like one, one of the weeks, one of the verses this week we're talking about was, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when he shall appear. We shall be like him. And when I think 
of what he has done for me to open up an avenue that I can come and pray to him. It baffles me. I can't understand it all, but I just accept it that he has done so much for me. We should be praying without ceasing because one of the best ministries in Christianity is the ministry of prayer. I used to have an old teacher years when I was a teenage boy, about 18, 19, and he would put it this way. He says, no prayer, no blessing. A little prayer, guess what? A little blessing. But much prayer, it brings much blessing. And sometimes we got a praying and the Lord doesn't answer us right away. And he has got reasons for it. It might be what we're asking for. He wants something better than that for us. And that's how he operates. He has operated like that before. And he is operating like that in the lives of God's many children today. He opened his mouth then in prayer. What did James say about prayer? He says, the effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effective prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You remember there was a set of folks that was praying for Peter. They had cut James' head off. And the next man coming up for cutting his head off was Peter. They put him in prison. They put some chains around him. They locked him up. And a set of people were doing what? They were praying for Peter. And God answered the prayer. He pulled away the chains. He got an angel that led Peter right out to where they were praying. And when the maiden comes out and looked and saw him, she couldn't believe it. She comes and she tells the folks that are praying, Guess what? God has delivered Peter. He's at the gate. And they were wondering, really? Yes. The same God who answered Peter's, the prayer for Peter is the same God who hasn't changed. And I don't care what the request is. God is still able to do far exceeding abundantly above all that you and I can ask a thing. We can ask and ask, use up all the languages that the world has. And they are not one and two. There are a bunch. But you will run out of all the languages in asking. But not only ask, think. When your thoughts have gone to the end of it, God is still able to get beyond that and do far in excess of anything that we can ask or think. He wants his people to pray. And might be, you might say, Brother Hart, I'm standing for the Lord good enough. Praise the Lord. Um, do you need a touch of skill and understanding? Not really. But might be I need a touch of prayer. I don't know. But God knows, and you know your life. And the question is, how is our prayer life today? Am I spending time with the Lord in prayer? Hannah went before the Lord. And he, she said to Hannah, Hannah said, Lord, would you give me a man-child? You couldn't want any more thing 
specific than that. And sometimes I sit and wonder, why did she ask for a man-child? I think, I'm not sure, but I think she must have seen Eli with two boys that he wasn't bringing up his boys. And she said, those boys ain't going to be in the temple to do anything. What do we find? The Lord answered her prayer, gave her a man-child, and she took the child Samuel and gave him back to the Lord. And if you read this next chapter after that, you'll find that she wound up with a total of six kids. God is always able to do more than we ask him for. And we need to pray that we may find help in the time of need. We need to pray. Let's look at... Oh, I have one more item. Elijah. You remember Baal. He wanted the prophets of Baal to understand that his God was the God of all gods. So Elijah, he mimicked him. What happened to your God? Is he asleep or what? And no fire could come down on the sacrifice. And it was Elijah's turn now. And he says, pour the water over it. Right to the trenches and everything. And Elijah made a prayer to the Lord. You know what he said to the Lord? He says, Lord, I am your servant. Let me say this. If you don't have a relationship as a servant with the God of all gods, you can't pray like Elijah. But he said to the Lord, he said, Lord, I am your servant. All that I need. He don't want anything for himself. All that I need is for these people to recognize the God of all gods. What do we find? The Lord answered his prayer. And what took place? Fire came down. Dried up all the water and burnt up all the sacrifice. What God did before, he can do again. I think of Joshua. Joshua came in contact with, Mo with Moses and they led across. He went and examined the land. He came back. He made the report. And when Moses' time was on his way out, Lord says, I was, I was with Moses. I will be with you. I want you, Joshua, to be strong and be of good courage. And we see Joshua start to lead the children of Israel. And there came a time when he was up against a war. And he needed some more time in the day so that he could finish up the war. And because of his relationship with the God of all gods, he could have said to God, would you allow the day to go on for 24 more hours? And you know what the Bible says? He says, and God made the sun stood still for 24 hours and gave Israel the victory. You see, we have got to be having that relationship with God where an authority comes down whenever you need it. And because of the relationship, you can say to God, like Elijah said, I am his servant. And Joshua said, 
I am asking you, O God, this victory is for you and your people. And God, because of his relationship with Joshua, turned around and he made the sun stood still. You see what a touch of prayer can do? Let's look at another one. Chapter 10 and go to verse 16. Ten and sixteen says, And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. What did we find in this one? The angel touched my lips. Let me suggest that touch is a touch of speech touch of speech so let me ask yourself yourself a question and I ask my own self when last have I spoken my testimony to somebody else you see I come across some folks who said oh brother Hart I can't win anybody to the Lord no you can't win anybody to the Lord but if you share your testimony of what Christ has done for you you will leave an impact on them and I have known individuals that have come to the Lord. You know why? Because they saw the revolutionary change that took place in another guy's life that they had known before. And their attitude is, if God can change him and make him to be what I see he is, then I want that God to touch my life. I like how one guy put it this way. He says, my life spoke without a word so loud. That I didn't have to say anything. You know, there's a lot of folks that sometimes say a lot. But because the walk is a different from the talk, guess what? It doesn't have the effect. And we could stand in a soapbox and for the rest of time, we keep preaching, preaching, preaching. And they don't see the revolutionary change of what the preaching can do with an individual. It won't have its effect. When they look across and they see the revolutionary change that takes place in the life of an unbeliever that became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with all of what Daniel was at and with all the touches he had had before, the Lord said, listen, man, I got something for you to do and I need to touch your lips and give you a touch of speech. Let me tell you. When we are talking with a touch from God in your speech and mind, we don't have to worry about anything. The blessed Holy Spirit will take what is being said. Is it conviction they want to bring to an individual? He'll do it. Whatever he wants to do, if we make ourselves available, he will do it through us. My question is, are we speaking for God? You know, you get into a company and they'll talk about everything about Jesus, about everything else but Jesus Christ. And somehow you open up the topic of Jesus Christ and um, sometimes because of their friends. They're not, they're not too gone on talking about that topic. And that topic, when you discuss them, won't help them in any way. 
if you continue without Christ, they'll all die and go to a lost eternity. Remember Moses? He said, I don't know what to say to the, to the children of Israel when I get there. I'm not eloquent. You find a thousand and one different excuse. But no, when God does a change, he changes everything. He wants us to speak. And you know what he wants us to speak? The truth. Not criticism. My dad always put it this way to me. He says, if you're going to criticize, make sure it is true. If it is not true, then don't criticize. And then the next thing about the criticism that he would say would, would be, is what you're going to criticize kind? And sometimes if you stop and you think, what you're criticizing, if it's not true, it's not going to be kind. So if you find that it is not true, you stop. And you find if it's not kind, you stop. You don't criticize. And then you've got to ask a question. Is the Lord going to get any glory out of your criticism? And if the answer is no, then you know. Criticism is not what God wants you to do. They can criticize anyone. Speaker. Song leader. Sunday school teacher. You could just go down the list. You'll find criticism of one nature or another. And most of the time you will find it's neither kind sometimes and it's neither true sometimes and it doesn't bring any glory to the Lord. Paul always asked in his letters, pray for me, he would say, that God might grant him boldness to do what? To speak the gospel. He always wanted to declare the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he did. I like in Romans chapter 1. And we come to verse 16. He writes to the Romans. He had never been there before. He got all the news of what's happening in Rome among Christianity. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is a power of God unto salvation. You can't be ashamed of the best thing that can ever happen to an individual. It's good news. And yet, lots of God's people don't treat it as good news. They shun away from it. Paul went a little further. We go up to verse 14. He says, I am a debtor. I owe it to the ungodly man. To proclaim the good news of salvation to him. I owe it. And if you go to verse 15 in chapter 1. He says it this way. He says I'm ready. I'm ready to preach the gospel he says. Even in Rome also. And Rome wasn't a nice city to be in. But he was willing. And nothing could deter Paul the apostle. From making the good news of salvation known. I think he suffered more than any other individual in Scripture for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hands of the clock don't seem to stop. It runs too quickly. So let's see if we can get one last one in. This one now is in chapter 10, verse 18. 
and 19. Here's what it says. He said, Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me, and said, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto you. Be strong. Be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. He went speaking, and he spoke until he ran out of strength in his speaking. And the angel came back and he says, Now listen, we got one more touch to give you, Daniel. And he gave him a touch of strength. If we don't have the strength of God operating in our lives, we're doomed for failure. Without the Lord Jesus Christ's strength, we are in trouble. After he touched, got the touch of speech, he spake until he had all breath and strength gone. And then he was touched again. What did Paul say to the Ephesians? He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Have you ever thought about the power that lies within God, the omnipotent God we have? The one who spake, and it was done. The one who commanded and it stood fast. And here is the power of all power. The one who has caused the, the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. To have been shed abroad in the dark corners of your heart and mine. That has brought us into this glorious everlasting relationship with the God of all gods. We have got a powerful God. And he has got all the strength to minister to our every need. He is the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-supreme God of heaven. And there's none to be compared like unto him. He is the omniscient God. A billion, billion years from now, he knows exactly where you are going to be and where I am going to be. And that's the God who giveth strength. Because there's none as strong as he is. Hear what Nehemiah said about the strength of the Lord. He says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Lord not only gives us life, but he gives us joy and peace and hope and assurance that nothing else can supply but the God of all gods. My question for your heart as it is to mine, do I need God's strength? Do I need a touch of strength that I might be able to stand better for God? He looked into Daniel's life and he quickly told Daniel, he says, I'm going to have to give you a touch of strength. I think of Paul the Apostle. He had a problem, a physical problem. I personally think it's a physical problem. Some of my contemporaries don't think so, but I think so. When he wrote letters, there was one particular letter he wrote. He says, I'm writing this in large print because his eyesight had a problem. He went to the Lord and he asked the Lord, he said, could you remove it once, twice, three times? And the Lord says, no. Paul, the Lord is saying to you, my grace is sufficient, sufficient for you to go through without me changing that physical problem you have. 
And I like when Paul experienced it. When, when he got the news that the Lord said, My grace is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in witness, he then turned and he said, Most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, because when I am weak, I become strong. Do you like how Isaiah puts it? Isaiah puts it like this. I had it scratched down here. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. My fellow believer, we need the strength that the Lord gives to stand for him. As we come to the close of the age. What did Paul the Apostle say? He said to Timothy the young man. He says fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto thou art also called. And hast professed a good profession. Before many witnesses. And as Paul came to the end of his days. He said to Timothy. He says I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. And I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me on that day. And not unto me only he would say. But unto all them that love his appearing. You know if you go to my assembly in San Antonio. And in January you say to them. One of you guys tell us. What is Brother Hart's resolution? And you'll get an answer like this. Oh, for the last 10 years, it's the same resolution he keeps telling us about. What is the resolution? My resolution, oh God, that I might finish strong. You know, it's not how you start the game, but how you finish. And God has made every preparation that you will need to finish strong for him. And that's my resolution, that I would be used and used strongly for the Lord. And hopefully I will get well done, thou good and faithful servant. Nothing will top that. Not the other end of the coin, like Paul would say, my grace was wasted on you. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know what the balance of the verse says? And the grace was not wasted on me, says Paul. But he made himself available that God's grace could work through him. I'm going to close with the words of a little song we used to sing when I was about six years of age. God is looking for all of that in the song, in your life and mine. That we eventually will get the well done. Two little eyes to look up to God. And two little ears to hear his word. Two little feet to walk in his way. And two little hands to serve him each day.
One little tongue to speak the truth. One little heart to love him in truth. Then you turn around and you say, then take them, Lord Jesus, and let them be always obedient and true to thee. And he keeps you and I at a spiritual level. And whatever he wants to do like he did with Daniel, look at what he opened up to Daniel, what's going to happen in the eternity to come. But he prepared him, gave him the touch of standing, touch of skill and understanding, touch of prayer, touch of speech, touch of strength. I don't know if you need all five, or might be one, two, three, or four of them. But God knows, and you know. So let's bow our heads and hearts. And you close with a word of prayer. Silently by yourself. As you sat and listened so attentively. What do you need to say to the Lord? Oh God, would you touch me? Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The fight will not be long. This noise, the day, this day, the noise of battle. The next, it's the victory song. From victory unto victory, his army shall he leave till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed. Father, would you bless thy word to our each and every heart today as we go? Would you minister to us the need we have in the touches that we looked at tonight? And may we all be used to the glory of God. And now may the peace of God that is so abiding and the love of God that is so abounding and the grace of God that is so amazing would so garrison the hearts of thy believing children in one until Jesus Christ shall come. And these mercies we ask in thine own worthy and precious name we pray. Amen.